I have a firm belief that an enhanced prep is healthier than a natural prep. If the perfect scenario is is created where an individual is able to hire someone who is able to make the protocols really structured to someone using PEDs for their first time, and they follow the rules exactly to optimize their health, I think that what you're saying can reign true. What is happening, everyone? Welcome back to your favorite podcast, the Gordite Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Mahaley, and today I have Alex Bush, one of my longest tenured friends, a highly respected bodybuilding coach, a true brainiac of the sport and the profession in here, and we are going to talk a ton of training. If by the end of this podcast, you're basically going to be able to set up your entire new training split that you can start executing right away. We give some amazing stuff in here. Alex is just a wealth of knowledge, overall great dude. I'm so excited for you guys to get your hands on this podcast, or maybe I should say your ears on this podcast. Have your notepads ready. I'll see you inside. Alex Bush, Grow or Die podcast, handshake emoji. <laughs> what in the fuck is up, my dude? You are looking yacked up. You just what got jacked on us? What you do? What 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 are you doing? How's your training going right now, man? One, thank you so much for having me. And and Absolutely. two, training right now is has been a, a fun one where I spent all of uh, all of twenty twenty two in in quite a a surplus and just getting to enjoy some delicious food and then as the the end of the year came about I was able to uh get into a little bit of a dieting phase to where some of that tissue that was gained is is able to be shown because yeah. for the greater portion of the year it was not able to to be shown. <laughs> yeah, did you get a little hefty? A little a little hefty, yeah. I, <laughs> uh the weight climbed as heavy as I had ever gotten it. It was uh up to like 232 was the heaviest wow. that I had been and now wow. I've been able to kind of hang out between 205 and and 210 on and so that's been much more comfortable for me. Um, a yeah. little bit easier walking up and down stairs and, and just doing normal cardiovascular tasks from a day to day yeah. standpoint. So do you feel like that push up to the heaviest weight you've ever been, even though it wasn't the most optimal setting, even though it wasn't maybe the body composition you wanted to have, do you feel like that was a necessary evil to undergo in order to have the tissue accrual um, that you have now? Because you're you're ectomorphic in nature very much so, similar to myself. We're skinny dudes. And like now like like you you look good. You look yacked up, like you look like you've got some like you look like you're about to go tackle the shit out of someone on the football field. Like I don't want to cross you. So do you think going up and getting a little fatter than you'd like to be? Are you seeing dividends paying off and maybe your motor uh, system firing within training patterns, maybe within your strength, just overall development? Yeah, I think that for me, and you talk about that ectomorphic lifestyle, life that I've, I've had mm -hmm. um, my whole life, and it's been something where I've struggled to put on weight. And this past year was one where I think that my activity levels had finally kind of fallen to a place where I've been able to actually push calories up and add weight where yep. I had just always been in sports and, and just been always extremely active to where uh, it was a little bit more challenging for me to add that weight. So it was, it was great from a training intensity standpoint. It was something where I was able to um, in, improve my overall leverages. I was able to focus very heavily on overall recovery and, and see myself be able to have the greatest training frequency and, and manage that to my best ability. And so, mm. um, I would say that pushing up, I probably could have been a little bit less. I don't think that I had to go as high type situation, but that's one of those things that you have to, um, you know, go through the trenches of it and have that experience to, to know, because I had never pushed my weight that high. So I don't really know, you know, what that was to feel like or, or what I was going to gain from it. But in hindsight, I'm able to say, you know what, I probably could have pushed a little bit less and still had very similar results. But again, it, it all comes from the experience. So you talk about training leverages. I'd love to touch on this real fast before we dive deeper into the conversation. Training leverages, I think, is something that's wildly misunderstood. And when we're achieving new high body weight marks and whatnot, there's some drawbacks that are going to happen. Like like you mentioned, walking up steps gets a little more difficult. You notice you're like helping yourself more than usual. Breathing patterns get a little bit more difficult. Recovery between sets. But how I love to train, at least right now, and we're, we're going to dive into this and um, in this podcast, I'm doing a lot of metabolic stress work at the beginning of my sessions. Because, mm. I mean, this morning I was the heaviest I've been all off season, 257 on the nose. But 
that's not close to my heaviest ever weight. I'm more muscled than I've ever been, but at my current body weight, I'm not going to be chasing these PRs in the gym or setting these new strength benchmarks because that's just not where my physique is going to be best suited from a progression standpoint, in my opinion, because my best lifts all came over that 270 mark, like 160s for 10 on dumbbell presses, um, like 625 for four on deadlifts, like things like that were happening at that mark. And when you have that leverage of, for me, it was, you know, 276 pounds when I made both of those marks for you, 232 pounds body weight, you are able to put that body weight into that load and move that load with more than just muscle training is more than just muscling through sets through a proper setup, through the strong foundation, you're able to leverage this heaviest weight I've ever been into these dumbbells when I'm pressing them up or this deadlift bar when I'm pulling it up. I think that when you achieve a new body weight, that's the time that you're you're working into those highs. And again, your cardiovascular output's going to be diminished at that point or less than I think that's when we focus on, hey, how strong can I be right now? Like, what's the craziest I can get? Because you have so much excess fuel for recovery and you know body fat. Uh, it, you know, when you're when you're a little fat, your muscles aren't hurting for glycogen. Your liver ain't hurting for 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 glycogen. Your fatty acids, your your adipocytes aren't hurting for fatty acids. So, how did you change your training, if at all? Um, or maybe a better question. How do you change athletes training when they start achieving those new high body weight benchmarks? And is that something, is the strength component and leverage component something you take into account with their programming as they reach those new benchmarks? Certainly. Yeah, I, I think that this is a, a fantastic question and just a, a great topic for us to dig into because when we look at structuring the, the training, it's something where we're going to be challenging different systems when we're trying to maximize overall hypertrophy and adding tissue in general. And so when we have missing links in the chain, if you will, where if we have a, a great focus on on strength and a, a lot of great work within lower rep ranges and, and longer rest periods and those different aspects, it may be something that would be of benefit to the athlete to be able to have some more endurance-based or metabolic stress type training to allow for them to have better endurance because we want to accumulate greater volume when we're chasing that hypertrophy. And so being able to have the structure and balance amongst all of the uh, systems that we would be challenging, if you will, um, within the training can be a very large benefit because when an individual takes too much time away from metabolic stress, <clears throat> they might find themselves in a situation where yes, they, they do extremely well in that four, six, eight rep range. But what about when an individual is trying to accumulate greater volume over the week and trying to hit a specific muscle group, let's take it to like a bikini or a wellness competitor who is training legs, maybe three times a week. We have to be in a place where we can uh, push through fatigue, but also be able to get back up and recover for that next day and those different aspects. So it's going to be paramount that they have those systems still firing at least to a, uh, you know, a functional rate or, or at a, a higher capacity not to the point in which you would have like a comparison to a uh, like a, a sprint based athlete or something along, along those lines, but still being able to have that ability to work through metabolic stress to where they can lengthen the set or challenge themselves deeper into sets because it, especially with uh, you know individuals who are really working to put on that tissue, those last two, those last three repetitions that are extremely challenging and, and pushing themselves to a place of like mentally, their mind has probably told them to stop training two reps ago, three reps yeah. ago, but they yeah. still have the ability to do it and they need to be able to fuel those systems or to have the um, nutrients or, or I guess, yeah, fuel there to be able to, to complete those last reps because that's what's really going to elicit the growth that they're desiring. Yeah, I think that's a really solid answer and something that I'm very much aligned with. And two segues off this, no, number one, there's a thought process that I had when listening to you give that answer that I think is is really beneficial for people to understand. When, so when we're talking about metabolic stress, we're simply talking about how I um, um, apply it as like a sprinter and track. How does a sprinter and track 
train. Well, if you're trying to get better at a hundred meter dash, you're going to do all out sprints and you're going to take shorter rest periods in between these sprints. You might not be fully recovered, but we would like to be optimally recovered enough to be able to give our best to the next set. Right. And I kind of bring that into bodybuilding because through metabolic stress, what we're trying to do is accumulate a lot of lactate fatigue, um, within that set. And as you push harder, 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 like this would be considered like a rest pause, you know, cluster sets, drop sets, things like, um, which I'm very untraditional with in terms of like, dude, I take things really far. Like a rest pause set with me is like six, seven sets. And that's one rather than the traditional, like three or four. Right. Because what I want to do is like, Hey dude, is your muscle still firing? Like when you're going in and let's say we're doing a tricep extension, I got, I got arms today after this. So I'm going to do metabolic work on biceps and triceps to start the session. I'm going to go in with this tricep extension. I'm going to be cranking, cranking, cranking. Dude, if I can hop in and still get some more reps at the same load that I started with, like I'm going to go take more. Even at the end, if it's three or four reps that I'm still getting, like, dude, that's still rep completion. And we are clearly, there's more in the muscle to be able to tax. I personally love taking things like all the way. But metabolic stress is just simple accumulation of lactate byproducts and things of the like. It's going to be a huge rush of blood volume, of nutrient volume and delivery into the muscle that we're training. And, you know, you can get some sarcoplasmic hypertrophy in there. Some people don't believe in it. I certainly believe in it, if I'm being honest. Um, I mean, I look at how Neil Hill has trained people, FST7, and I'm like, what What do you guys think is happening? I, I also will say... I don't think naturals undergo much sarcoplasmic hypertrophy. That's much more an enhanced thing. Um, but when you're achieving new body weight max, I would love to get your thoughts on that. Mm -hmm. But when you're achieving new body weight maxes, metabolic stress work is kind of like cardio. It kind of yeah. doubles for you because your cardiovascular outputs, you know, drop down. I'm assuming you're hitting these new body weight highs and it's not like your cardio, uh, you know, is actually high on a, on a standard machine. You might have high neat nine, 10,000 steps a day, whatever it might be. But that metabolic work, you're kind of killing two birds with one stone when you are at a new high body weight. What are your thoughts on that? But number also, what are your thoughts on sarcoplasmic hypertrophy in terms of naturals? Do you think it can be, and I, I want to, of course, a genetic outlier can achieve it because they can achieve anything natural or enhanced. For normal, for the, just the normal Joe listening to this podcast, what do you think about sarcoplasmic hypertrophy, PED versus natural? Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think that for the individual who is, is enhanced, they're just going to have a greater ability to have that cell volumization and retain that cell volumization with the, the PEDs in place relative to the natural where in or during the training session, they may be able to sustain a really great pump, but in terms of really improving their overall uh, muscular density or the visual appearance of the tissue over a, a duration of time, not just in the acute sense of the training session. I think that that is a little bit more challenging uh, to say that there's a uh, sustained benefit from it. Now, I do think that there is some form of, of benefit in terms of their ability to uptake nutrients over the long haul, right? Like it, it is, it has to improve the ability to uh, uptake those nutrients and then retain them as a whole. But in terms of really changing the the density of the tissue or changing what the uh, the tissue is is going to be performing from a hypertrophy standpoint, I'm not so sure from a natural standpoint that they're going to be able to to do that. Yeah, I, I agree 100% with that. So you work with some more natural athletes than I do. If you're, mm -hmm. if you're a natural athlete listening to this podcast, truly like reach out to Alex before don't, I wouldn't recommend reaching out to me. And there's a couple reasons why, um, like it's not my wheelhouse anymore. And it hasn't been for quite some time. I have my natural athletes that I work with that I have, you know, uh, rapport with. But when someone reached out, I'm like, dude, honestly, like my skill set and price point is not for you. My, my price point skill set are based around, hey, we're going to use PEDs. And that's just the reality of the beast. Alex is a monster with natural people and with enhanced people as well. I mean, you, you have plenty of enhanced folks as well. How do you program these people differently with respect. Cause truly this is something I would say I'm, I'm I've become more ignorant on. Cause like, if you don't use it, you lose it. Right. How do you program differently for like, okay, this person, um, female, 
you know, she's using a little bit of 19 nor and a little bit of DHT. So I know I changed my programming based on like, Hey, we got GH, we got 19 nor we got DHT, you know, all in here. We, we have some insulin in here. Mm -hmm. Oh man, I'm going to drive your ass with some volume versus, Oh, you know, we have a little bit of DHT versus, you know, uh, maybe gray area, uh, anabolics, if you right. will, things like abolic from, uh, have you ever used that abolic from true, uh, true nutrition abolic? Gosh, I, I I've given, I've, I've had stints where I've, I've utilized it more. The, the research yeah. itself is so wishy-washy that I've had clients who have had great success with it. And I think that there's some form of, of self-reporting that it's like, I'm having better training sessions. I am, um, recovering better and those different factors. And then we look at blood panels, everything looks clear on that front. Yeah. So go ahead and keep using it. But then I've also yeah. had uh, clients who have used it and been like, ah, I'm not really noticing anything different. Yeah. I, and we look at panels, nothing's really different there. And it's like, well, yeah. let's go ahead and just pull it out. So it, it is a case by case, of course, with any supplementation and with any PED, there's going to be case by case scenarios on, on that front. But um, I've had I've had some good experiences with it. I've also had kind of some I haven't had any bad experiences. I do want to say yeah. that as well. I've, it's been really just like either. Uh, nothing or it's been positive. So I think that yeah. in, in that sense, when we look at supplementation, that it's something that is going to be um, useful to at least give a shot and see if there's any uh, differences that someone experiences. Yeah, I love that. I agree fully with that. But programming uh, naturals versus enhance, what are some considerations that you uh, like to implore with that? Mm. Yeah. So what I like to do here for a natural athlete, it's going to come down to three factors, I would say. So the first one is going to be total sets that can be tolerated per week um, per particular muscle group. So I will start with kind of a baseline. Maybe that's going to be 10, 12, maybe 14 sets. This is also going to be dependent on the amount of sets that they're taking to failure. What's their training age and what's the, the training intensity that they can really sustain as a whole. So it's going to be dependent on what they're able, like what they provide within their onboarding that I kind of have a guess of what that volume is going to be. And then we want to look at how often can we train that tissue and be able to recover. So if I can split maybe those 12 hard sets over three sessions that we can maximize the output of those three exercises, that may be the best route for us to take. So the structure of the training sessions can look different, I would say, within having like full upper body sessions or full lower body sessions or anterior, posterior, like half body splits being okay. potentially the best um, and, and really being able to disperse across multiple sessions relative to it being like, this is my glute day and I'm going to have 22 to 24 mm -hmm. sets and just hammer away because the natural athlete and, and even some enhanced athletes, depending on again, what their ability to really push to a, a quality threshold from an intensity uh, perspective is that when you get towards, let's say 10 or 12 sets in a particular session, depending on what those exercises are, because of course, if we're going to have 12 sets of glute kickbacks and hip thrust relative mm -hmm. to 12 sets of a split squat and a leg press, like those are going to look drastically different from a fatigue ratio perspective, as well as just the recoverability that they're going to be able to, to sustain. Yeah. And so, uh, looking at the exercise selection and then how we're going to structure it throughout the day. So I think that it, it just comes down to, um, how often can we touch the tissue and how often, uh, or what's the quality that we're able to get within that. And so it's going to be the, the same things that I'm looking at, whether they're enhanced or they're natural, but there's a little bit more meticulous nature potentially to that natural athlete and seeing that progression, because with the enhancements, we're just going to be able to have that hyper compensation of recovery come about. And I also think from an enhanced standpoint that uh, athletes that come to me that are enhanced, they find themselves in a situation where they know the hypercompensation is there and they find themselves in a situation where they're just pouring on the volume, but still not really having quality work within that volume, thus still not seeing the best results with having those PDs in place, even though they've got the resources to have the best results type situation. Question for you. So you talked about, you know, potentially mixing anterior posterior type splits. You do that by like region or you do like full anterior and full posterior. So like, um, like we do quads with like chest and, and, mm -hmm. and, and Delaware. Yeah. I love doing stuff like that too. And it's so unconventional. And I, I, um, I have this pet peeve and bodybuilding. It seems like a lot of people, like if you're watching on YouTube, which why the F would you not be, you can see what I'm saying. There's like, there's this box, 
right here. And all of their thought processes are right inside of this box. And I'm like, but dude, there's all of this. Like all of this is, is things that we can do to, well, in this case, achieve greater volume for a body part while keeping recoverability, mm-hmm. you know, at the forefront of what we're doing. So I, uh, I just finished up some training for uh, a few of my wellness girls. Um, and I do this thing called weak body part training. And with weak body part training, I will send it to an athlete and I have instructions on there exactly how to do this. And I tell them what their weak body part is. And what we're going to do is we're going to take this weak body part and we are going to take the one or two best exercises that we feel in this weak body part. This is, this is individual. This is you. I'm not telling you what to do. You are thinking critically, what do I feel the best in these regions? And we're going to hit that every day. We're going to hit it every day until like, until that muscle wakes up and you're like, Oh shit, like this sucks. And then we're going to rest it and we're going to allow it to work as recovery back up. Obviously this is much more applicable. I think for enhanced folks, wait, do you think there's an application for natural folks to be able to do something like that? It's tough to say because you'd have to look at the the exercise selection. So if it's something where, like, if we want to talk about glutes, could you go in yeah. and do, you know, two to four sets of a glute bridge potentially at varying rep ranges over a, you know, multiple days in a row period? I think that that could potentially be sustained. I'm not sure how much of a application would potentially be there just because as the fatigue, if if the fatigue is not handled from day to day, then we're just continuing to compound. And so I would imagine by that third day, potentially that that natural athlete may not be able to recover. And so now we're just kind of not necessarily making regressions, but we're either at a standstill and then we're potentially causing just greater fatigue as we train other muscle groups as well, because those glutes are just not in a place to have optimal function or optimal recovery. And so it could, it could be, I I mean, it's something that I've tried. I think that also with having optimal hormonal function just as a natural athlete, because when we're talking from a, a female standpoint, looking at optimal hormonal function for a natural athlete who's competed multiple times and they're not having any enhancements throughout or any uh, HRT, each time that they go through that prep, the restore restoration of optimal hormonal function gets more and more challenging, especially depending on how long they're going without their menstrual cycle during the contest prep and then mm-hmm. following the contest prep. And then we do that for repetitive years, because if we have, you know, natural athletes who have been competing for four five, six years, it just gets more and more challenging with each of those dieting phases. And so you look at those different factors, um, as well, if they're not in a optimal hormonal place, just naturally, we're already at behind the eight ball to begin with. And so those are the big things that I think many people, um, who are wanting to stay natural and, and kind of like holding that card to be like, I'm natural. And this is something that I have pride in. Mm-hmm. They run into the scenario of like holding on to that too tight. And it's like, ah, there's, there's more to this. Like you can still be natural and wanting to optimize your hormonal function. Like there's, there are, there's, you know, optimization and, and HRT in place for a reason for you to live your, your best life. If, if this is what's needed within your health and what you can do with a physician and those different factors. And so I think that, uh, this is a side topic, I suppose, but within the, the, the natural, uh, athlete pride that some individuals carry in it being kind of like this thing that, um, it's like, I stayed natural the whole time and I am getting on stage naturally and I should have like this extra reward for that. And it's yeah. like, that's just not true, but that's a I, whole different topic for a different day. <laughs> I, I I agree fully with that. I just had a, I very recently had an inquiry, um, who she's a real nice gal. I, I, I know her personally. Um, she's a bikini competitor and she's like super anti androgens. Mm-hmm. And when I meet people, when I come across people like that, it's always due to one thing. One thing only is due to education and it's education around it. I'm never going to push, but my job, when you hire me, my expectation for you is a W and period. If you're natural, if you're enhanced, we're going to work until I think you can win a show. The issue, I live in freaking Austin, Texas, (laughs) winning shows naturally in the NPC in Texas is you, you need to be an absolute freak of nature. You truly do. So 
I had a, you know, chat with this gal and, you know, we talked about non-androgenic things that we can do that are, you know, more gray area in nature. Um, but I was extremely realistic as well. How I view natural compete, not natural, compete, how I view bodybuilding competing. This goes for men and women. When we start, there's this candlestick. It's this nice big candlestick. And this candlestick is our health. And it's our ability to recover from everything that we're doing. And as the day you start competing, the day you start that first true prep, the candle's lit. And it's, you know, you know what happens when a candle's lit? Well, the, the natural candle has, you know, it's going to burn much faster than the enhanced candle is going to burn. But they're both going to burn down. When you reverse properly, you stay in good body composition, you get endocrine function back on track, the candle stops burning because you're not taken away from your health any further at that point. The enhanced people, after every prep setting, is going to have an exponentially greater amounts of candle volume left than the natural folks. What no one has the answer to because it doesn't exist. It's so bio-individual. How many preps do you really have in you from a natural? Like if this is a revolver and you're just shooting the revolver, do you have two bullets or do you got eight bullets? Which do you have, right? And this is how I view contest prep and how I try to explain it to people like, hey, look, we can do it natty for sure. It's going to take, you know, depending on your genetics and your consistency, your work ethic, it's going to take two, three, four times as long. I'm comfortable with that if you're comfortable with that. But this candle is going to burn. And there's going to be a day you hop into a prep and it just doesn't respond anymore because you used up all your endocrine capacity to this point. And I remember I did a podcast with Austin Stout. It was the first time I had ever said this out loud and I got completely chastised for it. And since then it's become a super hot topic. And I'm not saying I like in the grandfather of this ideology at all. It just popped up through our conversation. This is back in 2020. And I said, I have a firm belief that an enhanced prep is healthier than a natural prep. What are your thoughts on that? It's a great, it, it's a, a statement that is requiring a, a caveat to it because I think that for a lot of individuals, their first time with PED consumption is not in a place that is well-educated and yeah. they are not in a budget-friendly position to make an educated decision as well as um, educated sourcing. And so they find themselves in a position where the analogy that you're utilizing with the candle, it certainly can be true if they are starting from a great spot of, of hiring someone who is well-educated. But again, mm -hmm. the, the finances comes into play and then also utilizing some of the um, gray area or things that are not going to be androgen-driven are going to potentially be more expensive, a little bit more challenging to attain and those different factors. And so I think that if, 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 if the perfect scenario is, is created where an individual is able to hire a well-educated, a, a, um, someone who is able to make the protocols really structured to someone using PEDs for their first time, and they follow the rules exactly to optimize their health. I think that what you're saying can reign true. But unfortunately, yeah. until that individual is in a financial place or within a place within like prioritizing their own health, mm -hmm. that they're not able to have that same effect where that candle is burning potentially even faster because of the poor PED use that they have mm -hmm. or poor guidance that they have. And especially if, if someone's to start utilizing PEDs at an age of 21, 22 years old, they're not thinking like, I want to have children in the future. I yeah. want to be able to do X, Y, and Z and, and, and be able to have this optimal health in the, in the future, because they're thinking like, I want to get as big as fuck now and be able to win this bodybuilding show in three months. And then what are the drugs that are going to get me to do that? What are the dosages? Okay. I'm going to run all this and I'm going to win this show. And then, you know, they get to the end of their bodybuilding career, whenever that time comes and like, man, I really wish at the beginning I would have known what I know now and be able to just take my time and, and optimize my health and those different aspects. So in, in the correct context, like what I know what you're meaning to say and where you're yeah. coming from. So how you're saying it uh, and, and with that context, I think that that can be true, certainly. Um, and, and being able to have the proper testing and all those different factors, mm -hmm. but you and I both know, I mean, we're talking thousands, 
thousands. tens of thousands of dollars, yeah. you know, to make this all come to life. And so that's where the, the struggle comes in because so many people are starting their journey in their early twenties and they've, yeah. they're still in college, fresh out of college, and they've got a couple hundred bucks to try and, and get this per month, hopefully to be yeah. able to make this all work. And probably a larger portion of that is going to just even having the coach in place. And yeah. so then they're like, all right, well, I have this much finances left. What PEDs can I get in with this being my my funding? And it's like, well, that's not going to be the best place probably to start and, and with things and being able to have the proper testing to ensure that everything is in an optimal position and those different factors. So um yeah, that would be my you know thought on that as a whole. The caveats are are perfectly stated because there's a few things I know you get it to. Uh, you know, you're too expensive. That's fair. All <laughs> right. Like yeah. there was a time, look, I, I say it's fair. There was a time in my life when I was completely dirt broke, bro. I was so disgustingly broke. And I think you and I actually knew each other at this time. This is about 2016. And we knew each other in 2016. We were friends back then. 2016. And I reached out to a coach named Shelby Sarns, who wins a lot of shows. Does. I asked him his price. He told me his price. I was like, can I come back in a month and have a spot with you? But like I, my financial position currently doesn't allow me to. He said, yeah, I came back with 2,100 bucks and I sent it to Shelby Starnes and he coached me into my first open bodybuilding show. Um, for my first ever shows, my men's physique shows, I had another coach, but he coached me into my first actual bodybuilding show. I won. And it was worth it. You know, it wasn't like the most helpful plan of all time along the way, but I hired him to win a show. We get all the time, you know, it's too expensive, whatever. Cool. But what is going to happen is you're going to hire a cheap person now. And they're not, they're, they're cheap for a reason. Understand there's price discrepancies for a reason. Like we're not just charging what we charge to be assholes. We're charging what we charge because, you know, I'm coming up on year 11. You're right behind. You're right there too. Of like, oh, homie, we've been doing this. You're, you and I learn something new every single day. I know you're the exact same as me. There's something, there's a new method. There's a new route. There's a new perspective that is learned every single day. Hey, you're paying for that over 11 years. And you're paying for what we do on stage. You're paying for what we do after the stage. You're paying for the long-term health and longevity that you're going to have in this sport. And with, you know, a cheaper option, not, not all, but most, you're going to have things you need to make up for later on in life. And it's going to get way more expensive then than it's going to be right now. And I view this, like, this is an investment. I agree with your perspective. People view this super short term. Mm-hmm. Like this bodybuilding show right now this year. And like people will inquire with me as I know they do you as well. I want to compete in June. Uh, it's G- homie, it's January. <laughs> you needed to reach out to me last June. Right. Like I'm taking on clients right now to get ready for March and April, 2024. Right. You know, like this, this is how the, unless you come to me in a very, very good position, but there's a standard of quality that you have with your physique development. I have within team Haley, like there's a standard of quality that we, that we carry and people don't want to pay the premium, but they want premium results. And then, I mean, I see all the time in Texas, you show up and you lose to the coach that, you know, you, you wanted to hire, but you took the cheap route. And now you're super unhealthy as well. Not saying, dude, I'm not, I am not stating my clients are healthy and we win shows. I am stating, and I know you do this as well. There's a time where you'll push a client. They're on 700 cows. They're on two hours cardio. We got T3 and Clint in the mix, PEDs, but there's nothing I'll ask them to do that I cannot recover them from. And that's the difference. That's what you're paying for. You're paying for the recovery. You're paying for the fact that your candlestick is going to burn way less quickly if you hire a good coach, you know, well-versed coach, rather than, you know, podunk, still in the gym, training in person, no shade intended, but prep coaches who are training all their clients in the gym in person are there for a reason. It ain't by choice. (laughs) It ain't by choice. So I, I know that's a whole other conversation topic to get off of. And I really want to talk training with you. Um, what are some things that you just really, 
as we're learning, we're always looking at things. We're watching people. We study our sports so much. What are some things that you're loving within training right now? What's some protocols that you're loving throwing at people? What's some execution cues that you're just loving throwing at people? What are some things that you're just really in love with right now that you're seeing and that you're utilizing? Absolutely. So on the the topic of just the the proper expense from a, a coaching standpoint, there was a uh, you know somebody that we both appreciate abundantly, Cameron Cheeks on mm-hmm. on Black Friday this past year. Yeah. Um, he had posted on his story, and I had uh, DM'd him after this because I thought it was so great. Is that one Cameron was probably one of the best performing coaches of last year. Yeah. Uh, his year. results speak for himself, and um, he had posted. Everybody was posting their sales on Black Friday and everything. <laughs> yeah. and Cameron, Cameron had posted his link to inquire and said, "Your discount is that you're going to achieve the goals that you have." Like, yeah. We are here to give a premium service. You're going to pay a premium price, but you're going to get what you need and be taken care of throughout that process. And I think that that is something that is overlooked because it is just looked at in terms of just, this is the financial aspect. And um, also on that same note of if I'm paying that uh premium fee, some individuals ex- expect this like magical thing to to transpire. Like because yeah. of this premium, you can do whatever it is with this and no matter the, the amount of time I'm going to give you this and you have to make it work. It's like, that's not yeah. how this works. Like we're setting the timeline and this is going to be the best to make that actually a reality. Yeah. And so that's a, a big part of that. But within training, man, there's, there's a, a handful of things that um, I'm, I'm loving right now. I think that, um, you know, when we're looking at the, the, the different aspects of training, trying to, to fit three lower body sessions or three glute sessions into a week right now is probably one of the biggest challenges that I'm, I'm having at the moment where with my wellness competitors and, and with my bikini competitors and, and how competitive everything has, has gotten and the density that these women are carrying, um, being able to train the tissue as frequently as possible, but be, being able to recover is probably the biggest hurdle that I am uh, facing at this moment. So trying to fine tune of, of what exercises we're able to um, recover from within a session. And then how are we able to get the best output from each of those exercises and not have too much of a fall off from exercise to exercise because of what we're putting into the previous. And to, to give the listeners an example on this, I think that if you go from something where you are uh, maybe doing a back foot elevated split squat and really getting a lot of output within that. The following exercises should not be exercises that would be challenging the tissue in that lengthened position, potentially again, where Mm -hmm. let's say that we have that back foot elevated uh, split squat. And then following that, maybe we were to go into like a hard hack squat or into a, a leg press in particular. It's like, we're probably not going to get a ton of output here. Let's focus on movements that were maybe training more into the mid range or shortened and focus on a glute bridge or a, a kickback variation or something that's not going to be as systemically fatiguing as a, a split squat. Because we all, especially individuals who are able to really push that threshold from a fatigue management standpoint, their ability um, within that split squat to get the most bang for their buck and get as much out of it as possible. Like it is very taxing mentally, physically, um, sometimes emotionally um, to to get through those. those Have have you seen Emily Smith's split squats? I, I think so. I mean, <laughs> uh, like what's she using? 150 pounds. She she's using 75 in each hand. Unreal. She weighs 111.6 pounds or some shit in her checking yesterday. She's using 150 pounds and she's got this insanely controlled tempo. I'm talking three second negative, maybe four. I'm talking a pause at the bottom. She's coming up, you know, two seconds, three seconds on the concentric. And I'm just like, dude, that's like me having 250 in each hand. And just fucking cranking Crank it, it away, bro. Just cranking it. <laughs> yeah. I agree with you heavily on things like split squats. What this is interesting because we approach training setup a little bit differently. Yeah. So you're viewing training as where are I you're structuring training based off of load the loading of the muscle mechanism. This one is a stretch, the next one is a mid-range mm-hmm. or a or a shortened. The next one is the, you know, whatever 
the previous two weren't. Right. Yeah, I, I I love that. I think there's a lot of merit to that. I want you to continue with your thought, and then I want sure. to talk about kind of how I'm structuring my training. Of course. So I, I think that there's a couple of different ways that you can certainly structure the exercise sequence. I, I think that some individuals would benefit, and this is something that I've utilized within clients who struggle with connecting with the tissue or having the to mind to muscle connection that they are are wanting to have. So maybe starting with something that is more short and emphasis or some of that metabolic stress that you talked about within your current training, um, being able to start with, we'll stay on the topic of glutes of, of a, a glute bridge to kick off the session and, and getting some really hard, uh, sets in there. And then being able to move into something that's a little bit more lengthened dominant, where we would have like a split squat or a leg press or something along, along those lines. And, um, paying very close attention to, especially uh, for the listeners where when you are in a, a lower body dominant session, being very cognizant of, of how much you're lo loading your spine, um, where mm -hmm. like a session in which you would be uh, performing an RDL and then also having a barbell back squat, for example, that's going to be a lot of systemic fatigue as well as mm -hmm. a lot of load onto your spine that you just have to be cognizant of because when we're looking at off season or in season training, it's something that making sure that you're able to train another day and be able to repetitively hit that tissue over time is your most important thing. So if you're going in and just obliterating yourself on a Monday and then you're like, I'm not even recovering by Friday, it's like, well, we should probably reevaluate how you're going about these sessions and be able to have a little bit of better recovery from these, because this is, this is quite a bit of trauma and this, this systemic fatigue that you're experiencing is hindering your other training sessions. It's not like your body is compartmentalizing this whole fatigue and the, the, um, brain fog that you're experiencing to just like, well, that's just, that's only affecting my lower body. Like it's affecting your upper body sessions as well. So you have to be cognizant of those components. And so from a structure standpoint and exercise selection, I think that, um, when I'm looking at it, um, I'm going to have probably, if I was to go into order, the, the greater prioritization of those lengthened exercises as I talked about. And then as the session continues down, I'm probably having a little bit more of a shortened emphasis and mid range, but I am having exercises throughout the entirety of the session, targeting the different links and, and biasing those different links uh, throughout. So each exercise is going to kind of have its own use within that, um, throughout and, and like for my bikini competitors, for example, um, the like their quad training quad training is not going to be something that is overly abundant within their programming but is going to be an important piece for their pelvic stability for example in training the rec fem and so with that being the case leg extensions are something that we're going to be prioritizing within their training so that we have that pelvic stability because a big part of their training obviously being glutes we've got to have that pelvic stability to be able to optimize that glute training as a whole so having a, a well-trained and, and strong rec fem is going to be a very important piece of that. And so looking at the sessions in that sense is, is going to be very important. I don't believe there's any literature on this. I think it's just how we both uh, operate by via feel of client biofeedback. We talked about spine loading, which is a topic I, I love talking about. I want to load the spine as little as possible throughout the week. I we want to find the most bang for our buck exercises, but the ones that are able to set us up, like to live to train another day. I love that you said that. That's a great motto, like live to train another day. And I remember when I was squatting like 600 pounds and stuff, I was not living to train another day. You're not, you're not getting better at bodybuilding through that. Right. And unless you're hitting it for like, you know, 10, 12 reps, but even then I still think there's better things we can do. Um, Dumbbell versus barbell movements, an open chain and a closed chain, but the same mechanism I ha I believe that there's greater recoverability uh, from dumbbell work uh, compared to barbell work in, say, an RDL um, or a split squat. I'm, I'm not a big fan of spine-loaded split squats for most. I do have some people who do them just because I feel like it fits their uh, leg length, if you will, their femur. But do you believe there's a recovery differential in barbell versus dumbbell? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that there is a, a difference there for sure, just because of that spinal loading component. Mm -hmm. And I think that the, uh, the conversation on 
dumbbell versus barbell for upper body movements, especially for now we're kind of switching gears into mm-hmm. more male driven, because if we're having a lot of pushing and pulling, mm-hmm. I'm wanting my elbows to be as healthy as humanly possible. Absolutely. And if I'm putting things into place that are going to be potentially hindering that elbow uh, function or any of the, the tendons and ligaments that are going to be getting greater strain because of my wrist positioning, because of my elbow positioning, I want to avoid that at all costs. So I'm wanting to maximize my joint health as best as possible. And so dumbbells allow for us to do that. Now it can be more challenging to just get into position sometimes with dumbbells, uh, you know, in particular mm-hmm. movements, like, um, I, I suppose getting a weight up for, for dumbbell RDLs, but there's always modalities and ways to get around those things. And, uh, with lower body training, I prefer the, the dumbbells, um, from a, uh, fatigue perspective, but also the aspect in which I think that it's also just safer in general. Like, let's say we're taking yeah. a a set to failure on lunges, and and somebody has quite a bit of load on them, like on their back relative to the dumbbells. If we get to a point of failure on those lunges, it's going to be much easier to to dump those those dumbbells mm-hmm. relative to trying to dump that barbell and also just the, the side note of, of a gym owner, like don't yeah. tear up a gym owner's shit. Like just take, like you're paying a minute fee to be at that yeah. gym and, and they put tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars into the equipment and, and the space. So just take care of it as a, a side note for the listeners. Um, yeah. I love that side note too. I mean, I see it at factory where, where, where I train, I train at lift ATX and factory down here and you know, factory, I'm very good friends with, I'm great friends with both owners. The factory, I know he's put in a, a, a lot of money. I I, I, I won't say a gym. number. I, I don't think he'll, it's beautiful, dog. You yeah. need to come down here and get a, some sessions in. I do. But man, it's like when someone's in there and you know what I, my favorite thing about factory is? My favorite thing about factory is everyone respects the gym so much. And there's so many leaders in the gym. Um, like a, a lot of my staff, a lot of people who are, you know, aren't affiliated with TM, but we're all friends in there. We have a great culture. The leaders of the gym really set a precedent that Brian, the owner, has you know done a phenomenal job of setting within all of us, and it's done with all of us. Listen, Alex, when I see a motherfucker on a day pass in there, yeah. disrespecting the gym, you're you're pushing me. Like, I ain't violent. I'm not violent. Right. right. But let me. I I can talk circles around you and make you feel real small. Right. <laughs> you're pushing me because it's never the day to day members. He's put in a lot of money in this gym. You know, a membership's only 70 bucks. He could charge 120 bucks. I really believe that. A membership's only 70 bucks. Your day pass, your pathetic little minuscule day pass is like 10, 15 bucks. I think he should charge 40. I really do because he would still get the people in. But Brian wants everyone to have an equal opportunity to train at his gym. But man, when I see day passes disrespected, oh my goodness, Alex, that drives me. It takes everything in me. I got to walk away. I got to walk away. <laughs> but I always, I always say like, well, now that I train at home, we don't, I mean, there's three members at my gym, myself, <laughs> Sue, and then our creative director, Miguel. So everybody is very what about respectful. Gus? <laughs> Gus and Tucker, they're in there. They're, they're not using any of it. Um, but uh, yeah, so taking care of the equipment, I've always said that putting a price tag on all the equipment so that members knew like really what went into purchasing that piece of equipment, I think that would change how people used it. And if if they were to break it, like you're replacing this piece. Man, I um, love be- that. I yeah. love, we're about to get a bunch of Panada stuff in. We just got a ton of Prime oh, that'd stuff. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to tell Brian, you better put a price tag on put all price tags on everything. Oh, yeah. I put a price tag on everything. No, Let see, everyone I mean, know. Me respect the weights dude we're just simply that's a great golden rule um i want to i, I want to follow up um dude i could talk to you all day i've yeah. i love chatting with you um oh real fast before we continue hang on hang on i have a rule i have a rule every guest that comes on i have to tell the podcast my favorite thing about that oh, guest it's, it's always in the beginning but we got right into conversation because i love talking to you yeah so I had Nick Comedina on recently and it was very, very similar to him. Like he and I've been friends like seven years. You and I've been friends for a while now. I, I think a little longer than seven years. Yeah. I think cause we were friends. I think when I was working with Shelby, I, I, yes, I, I think seven, we eight years, um, that you and I have been friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been really cool to, you know, watch. We've both built a, a dope lives for ourselves and within the sport that we have so much passion for. And, one thing that you've always had is that insane passion, you know, for this and for learning and just 
you knew way before I did that you were a servant of others. And that's very admirable and respectful because you were very young when you realized that. You know, I didn't realize that until I was about 27, 26, that, oh, my purpose is to serve others. And that's why this podcast has been such a big deal for me, as I feel like I'm able to serve others through this by bringing such talented guests on like yourself. But my favorite thing about Alex from day one, and understand, Alex was kind of this doofy looking bodybuilding coach day one because he was he was this ectomorph and, you know, natty AF trying yep. to fucking make a name for himself and whatnot. But that smile, that smile that you, it's always been the same and it's like infectious. It lights up a room and your energy is just so positive and it's always so elevated that you give off the energy of a man that's living his dream life. And, but it's always been like that, even before you actually were. You know, now yeah, I, I've seen you get very close affiliation with some really big time people in the industry. I don't want to name drop or anything on a podcast. I'm not sure where things are, but you know who I'm referring to. And, you know, you're really tight with some really good people and your energy has always been so infectious and so positive. Every time I talk to Alex Bush, I leave a conversation feeling better. And that's that's a great power to have on people. So Grow Eye Podcast, that's my favorite thing about this guest, wow, Alex Bush. A, yeah, this is great. Thank you. Bro. Thank you. <laughs> Keep going. Keep going, Justin. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. <laughs> I was I was going to I was going to recipro reciprocate the the kindness as a whole. I think that uh, one of the things that I would I would say uh, about yourself is that you've always been you. And, and, um, within that you've been willing to, to accept times that you've been wrong. You have been willing to, to, to sit up and be like, yo, I know I fucked this up and, and it is what it is. And I'm able to push forward and, and continue to be yourself. It never, anything that ever transpired, you were always willing to learn from and bounce back from and, um, continue to just be the best version of, of you and, and continuing to understand that you are learning from every single instance that comes about. And you have always been someone who is, is willing to be vocal. That is one thing that I really haven't fallen into till till this year. I've been uh, more kind of like staying back and, and being more reserved in those different aspects. And this past year was one where I was a little bit more vocal, a little bit more on social and those different aspects. And it's it's been uh, a little daunting at times and, and uh, you know, having uh, situations that come up and people challenge ideas and those different factors. And really, since I've known you, like you've been willing to, to get into a conversation and have people disagree with you and be like, no, I believe in this. Like you've always been so strong in what you believe and the convictions that you carry. And I think that that's one of the most like one of the most admirable things about you is that um, like who you believe in, what you believe in are things that you hold so true. And uh, it's something that I've always admired about you since, you know, since we became friends, I mean, almost a decade ago. Yeah, almost a decade ago. No, I greatly appreciate that. I've definitely gotten some heat over the years and you've always been there by my side, which I, you know, I appreciate. Yeah. Um, you know, that's what makes us dope friends and have have such a special connection. Um, but so I appreciate that's very, very kind of you. Um, I want to talk about how I'm structuring some training a little bit and then yeah. I want you I want you to tear it apart. <laughs> so <laughs> you have to find something in here you disagree with. Yeah. And so how I'm structuring training. Uh, we can keep it on the conversation of bikini wellness. Um, I, since that's kind of where the majority of, of your conversation was, and I think a majority of your clientele might be there as well. Yeah. Um, so bikini wellness, um, again, I want to hit glutes as often as possible. I also want to add a caveat of majority of my people are going to be enhanced. So when, when we're talking about this discussion for the listeners, um, understand if, if, you're not enhanced. This probably would not apply to you unless you're an, a complete outlier. Um, I'm going to start today with single joint movements more often than not. And the reason why my goal with training is how often with frequency can we hit it and how much volume, good volume, quality volume can we torch this muscle with, right? So I want to see a single joint movement to get some things tired. This is called pre-exhaustion. I'm not using it for pre-exhaustion. I'm trying to grow in these single joint movements. We might start with a leg extension. We might start with a seated leg curl. Maybe we do both. Maybe we do an extension into a curl. And I want us to really use intensifiers there and take this thing all the way. And a machine that you're set up stable in, that the stabilization is handled for you, 
dude, honestly, I believe we should be getting into just ripping it. Like I talked about earlier with tricep extensions, like what I'm going to do after this podcast, I'm going to get in. I'm just going to move until that muscle stops moving. So I call them death sets. And this is a set where I'll start about 20 reps and that's failure. I'm, I'm not, I need people to understand when I'm talking about reps, this is just a range. It might be 24. It might be 19. I'm going until I can't move it again. And then my rest is just going to be only long enough uh, until I believe I can get 10 reps again. And so maybe after set one, I only rest 10, 15 seconds. I go get 10 reps, uh, 12 reps. After set two, I'm going to rest maybe 30 seconds. I'm going to go get 12 reps. See what I mean? And so I'm going to try and take this until I can't possibly get 10 reps anymore. The fatigue is too high. And I'm going to move on to the next exercise. So we're going to get into the meat and potatoes of our training session fucked up. Like for lack of better words, we're going to be twisted at that point. Like you're hobbling Mm -hmm. because I believe if we can train with sub maximal loads, but make that maximally optimal in terms of our focus, our output, our connectivity, and the stimulus being placed upon it. And why, why are we using Submaximal loads now because we just got so freaking tired that all the support muscles you see even on a hip thrust there's some knee flexion involved right there's going to be some hamstring involved no these aren't hamstring and quad dominant movements there's some involved if they're completely taxed and your glute is good to go well your body is a surefire weapon to find the path of least resistance to move a load you torch your quads, you torch your hams. This entire movement is now going to be even more glute bias, but we're going to hop into a really hard compound glute movement like a hip thrust, booty builder, um, barbell, arsenal machine, any good hip thrust machine that you really enjoy the setup with. We're going to go, we're going to attack the hell out of it. We're going to work a little heavy and then we're going to hit some intensifiers there. I love intensifiers in case you haven't noticed. I like, I operate, I, I protocol intensifiers like a lot. So we're going to torch that hip thrust, get those glutes really screaming. After that, my next favorite is probably going to be a dumbbell Bulgarian. And we're going to hike that back leg up and we're going to take, we're just going to tax that thing. Again, a Bulgarian, there's some knee flexion involved. There's going to be some stability that you're used to having if Bulgarians are first that you don't have right now because you have torched the quads and hamstrings so much. Now you've torched the glutes so much on your first movement, the hip thrust. And we're getting into a Bulgarian and we're taking this thing slow and controlled, setting up and biasing that glute to be the main mover. We're going to take those all the way. All right, now we're going to get into a Smith machine squat. And what we're going to do in a Smith machine squat, we're going to have a spine loaded movement at the end of our set, the session. And what that means is this is the lightest load you can possibly use to still maximally stimulate the muscles that we're trying to train that day, right? We're going to set up with feet a little bit ahead of the bar, with the bar aligned with that hip. So it was wherever our vertical alignment is. On a Smith machine, that is where the bias is going to come from. And we're going to set these hips and the glutes up for a ton of contraction, but you're still squatting, good bit of knee flexion involved, quads are going to be involved, and hamstrings get into a small amount. And we're going to tax this thing on, on, a, on a Smith machine squat, um, probably rest pause it there, something of the like, maybe a drop set there. And then I'm going to find one finisher that I just think is going to be all out brutality, but something that's really stable. Cause at this point we've taxed everything, mm-hmm. but we can get into a hack squat. We can get into a leg press and we can bias the full leg, the full upper leg, quad, ham, glue, all getting some bias in a leg press. So I really, I'll, I'll probably tend towards leg press. You're just going to torch this thing. You're going to do one just all out nasty, just disgusting set where you have to crawl out of that thing. My, my belief process, my thought process What's the least amount of load that we can put on that we can get extreme stimulus from? And I believe we can recover the absolute best from that to hit with as much volume and frequency as possible. What are your thoughts? Am I terrible at my job? <laughs> so I, I think that for the listeners, it's it's important to to say that 
there's so many ways to to go about this where you can look at, at Justin and I's resume and we do things differently. We look at things differently and we both have had uh, tremendous success in, in how we go about the, the protocols mm-hmm. as a whole. So we're pretty um, fucking good at what we do. Right. And so <laughs> even, even if my, you know, how I'm about to go through this is, is different. It's not that one is right and one is wrong. I think that there's an understanding of, of, Hey, this is how other individuals who are successful in the space do this. And it's important to be able to look at it from a full perspective. And so within, you know, the way that you structure the the training session, I look at it a little bit differently in the sense that when we're looking at like the, the point of the split squat, for example, where mm-hmm. you've already taken the uh, hamstrings and a seated hamstring curl to a, a great degree of, of fatigue in that uh, seated hamstring at the beginning. And then you took the the glutes through a very high degree of of fatigue through the the glute bridge, mm. where within the uh, the split squat now we're in a place where we're going unilateral and the supporting mm. tissue, the hamstrings being a major stabilizer through that, the adductors being a major stabilizer through that, and and going through those um, those hard pushes at the you know towards the end of that uh, seated hamstring curl, the adductors are probably going to play some role as the individual is trying to recruit whatever tissue it can to continue to have that curl in place. And so the supporting tissue that is going to be in that split squat, my concern there would be that uh, we're just not getting as much output as we possibly could because of the instability that's being provided from those uh, supporting tissue. Now, that all being said, we're in a position where I've seen your clients do this. Like this is yep. a session that I, I I've seen your clients perform, and I mm-hmm. see the success that they've had. And so there's there's some merit to it in in some form or fashion. But I just do it differently or approach it differently as a whole. And so within you know how I structure the training, I'm not taking each and every set to to failure. I may use failure in the progression of whatever the training that is written. Um, and that would that would be kind of my question to you to to have full context on that kind of training session. How often would a client hit that kind of session? And then how many repetitive weeks would they have that? Is there any progressions that are in place or or deloads that would be utilized, of course? I think this would be obviously helpful for the listener as they're like, if I'm just going to do that session, I'm just going to do that session for forever. There's obviously a greater context that goes along with it. So how I structure training in terms like, like, um, I, I mentioned, I just did some new wellness training. So I have two upper body days set and I have two lower body days set. So there's four days set total in this training structure and I have prerequisites. All right. Leg day one is your most important leg day for your division. This is your most important leg day. It's glute ham dominant very clearly, right? Little touch of quads. Leg day two is some more quad work. But it's kind of split evenly with less volume across the board, um, with less intensive movements. Um, I tried to get it to load, and I can't get it to load in here. I was literally going to read you off exactly what I have. And so my my um, rules are when you wake up, something I try to do with my athletes is make this int- as intuitive as possible, as auto-regulated as possible. Okay. Hey, when you wake up, what do you feel? Can you hit leg day one? That's your most important session. You can't hit leg day one, but you can hit legs. All right, we're going to hit leg day two. All right, after that day, you definitely can't hit leg day one or leg day two. So upper body one is your most important upper body day, okay? Upper body two is your second most uh, important upper body day. So upper body one is going to be more like delt focus with some presses and whatnot. Day two is going to be like some back focus, um, you know? So we're going to – this is how my setup works. Can you hit leg day one? You hit leg day one. Can you hit leg day two or can can you hit legs, but not leg day one? You hit leg day two. Your legs need a break. We hit upper body one. Well, we just hit upper body one. Legs still need a break. We hit upper body two. After upper body, we just went through four training days in a split plus, you know, some rest, you know, wherever needed, either after the second leg day, um, at the end of that four day run, if we need it at the end of that upper body day. So now we're definitely fresh to go back to leg day one. So how I'm structuring, this is for my very high level athletes. For folks that aren't on that level, I'm telling them, do this right here, right? This is for my very high level folks. You have this. I'm not telling you Monday legs one, Tuesday upper one, Wednesday rest, Thursday. I'm not telling them that. I'm telling them these, this is the order of importance for your exercises, for your division and what you need to bring up. How often can we hit leg day one? 
All right. How often can we get leg day two? And you're auto-regulating your recovery. These are people who've been body like the the wellness protocol today I made was for Liz Knowles, uh, mainly for Liz Knowles. And I think there's a few other clients that I might I might be able to get away with it, uh, uh, implementing it with. Liz is very advanced, dude. She's high level. She knows what's our communication. We're yin and yang. Like it's, we are such in sync that she knows exactly what I mean by these things. And she knows exactly what to do. And when she wakes up in the morning, she knows exactly what she's feeling, right? <laughs> this isn't like Betty Crocker rolling in day one at bodybuilding training, right? right. Like, like this is more high, high caliber athletes. And the same with my guys. I did um, new training for Bobby Tomlinson, one of my really good bodybuilders. Okay. And it's the same as Bobby. When you can hit, this is your most important day. When you can hit this day, you hit this day. And his back is his weakest thing. When we can train back, if we can hit back three times a week, I want you torching that back three times a week. With, these are for people who can really understand the auto-regulation and intuitiveness behind recovery because that's how I train. I don't personally have this split or set exercises I'm following. I know where my weaknesses are. And I want to exploit those within my training as much as I possibly can. But I'm trying to grow into a national top five super heavyweight. And I understand everything must come up big time, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, some caveats for the listeners there. And the other reality is what I'm putting out here, I'm telling you guys, this is really high level stuff that not many coaches have a lot of athletes that they're just going to trust to like, all right, build your own split. Here's the tools. You go build it. And I'm fortunate to have that. I know you have some people coming to mind as I'm saying these things like, oh, you know, I could implement that with them. Right. Um, but that, that that's kind of the full context um, that we have here. So, Alex, I, I, I do need to wrap us up. We are at about an hour 10. And I promise you I wouldn't keep you longer than an hour 10. But two things. One, I got to get you back on in February. Okay. Because there's way more we can talk about. <laughs> we can, like, yeah, I feel like we're just really getting into the conversation oh. of training as a whole. <laughs> I know, but it's going to leave the people a lot. And there's a lot of tidbits in yeah. here that were really freaking helpful okay. for people. I want you first give the listeners where they can find you. You have a podcast. That's awesome. Sure. You and Sue run it, um, yeah. where they can find you on Instagram. And then I want you to leave the grower die podcast listeners with something they can just take and hold on to. It doesn't need to be super profound or anything, just something that you think is a good message that they can take from you. Absolutely. So the the podcast that we have is the Physique Development Podcast. We cover topics that uh, Justin does as well here. We're, we're digging into fitness. We're digging into to research and, and just having open dialogue around mindset as well and, and all that fun stuff. Instagram, TikTok, uh, both of those platforms, you can find me at Alex Bush, B-U-S-H underscore underscore. The individual who has at Alex Bush is very rude and will not let me purchase it. <laughs> <laughs> that's on. That's for another day. And uh, uh, within something that I can can provide you guys to to be left with today is that when we're looking at at training, it, it, it's going to be something that you have to pair training intensity with excellent execution. You cannot have one or just the other. You have to have both and be consistent with those factors over the long haul. And you're going to have chapters of your training that are going to be more focused around exercise execution and, and improving that. And you're going to have seasons where you are uh, improving your overall intensity that you're taking to your training. But when you're looking at it over the, the long haul, you're going to need to have both those factors for long durations of time for you to see the results that you have. And so um, stay consistent and, and, and get after your training when you have the opportunity to do, to do so. That's beautiful, Alex, dude. There was a wealth of knowledge in here. You're a phenomenal asset for people to have. Make sure to follow Alex, support his podcast. There's a ton of information that you guys can learn. As always, when you tune in to him, you better have your notepads ready. <laughs> but uh, Alex, thank you so much for coming on. I'm really looking forward to the next conversation we Absolutely. have. Absolutely. All right, until next time, guys. Peace.